Time to start the class. They said the bell rang, so it's time to start. There's some things in life that aren't fair. And uh, one of the things that isn't fair is to uh, make a guy stand up here and teach when I can smell that brisket coming out of that door right there. It smells delicious, by the way. So, um, I don't know if that means I'm going to talk faster or uh, let you out early or what, because I didn't get my breakfast this morning. So, uh, there's some things in life that aren't fair, and that's one of them. I can't tell you uh, what a joy it has been to be with you this weekend. Uh, You've all been so kind and encouraging, and it's been a pleasure uh, to get to meet Adam and Julie and their boys, and it's been um, a tremendous blessing to see uh, my dear, dear friend Mike and his sweet wife Cherie. Uh, I've said this more than once, I don't know of a man who is a preacher who has a, a deeper heart and love for preachers to encourage them and uh, for the church uh, more than Mike Vestal does. And I know that you know how blessed you are uh, to have a man like Mike to preach for you for uh, 22 years. That's a long time. Y'all must be really patient and long-suffering. Uh, and Mike must be also, because that's kind of a two, two-way street, you know. But what a, what a tremendous blessing, and it speaks very highly, not only of Mike and in his work, but it speaks highly of you as a church family. And so thank you. I want to say thank you in behalf of, of preachers everywhere for uh, supporting and encouraging uh, Mike and Adam and for the work that they do. And may God continue to bless you. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, if you have a Bible, we're going to spend most of our time in this chapter today. A lot of people say to me, I don't like Revelation. It's too hard to understand. It's uh, too complicated. I was talking to my uh, five-year-old grandson the other day, and sometimes when I go visit them, I pick him up, and he's in, not in kindergarten yet, but still in preschool, and so I picked him up, and I take him to get a donut, and we sit and talk, because he'll talk to me if I buy him a donut, and so I said to him, uh, Forrest, how, how are things going? He said, Pops, it's been a rough week. He's five years old. And I said, so what's going on? Why has it been a rough week? He said, my mother has been getting me in trouble every day. <laughs> and I said, I said, Forrest, I said, what do you mean that your mother has been getting you in trouble? And he said, Pops, it's just too complicated. And I said, well, what, is, what do you mean it's too complicated and your mother's been getting you in trouble every day? And he said, Pops, it's just too complicated and I don't want to talk about it anymore. Okay, I get, I get the message. I, uh, you know, some things we feel like are too complicated, so we don't want to talk about them. We don't want to read. We don't want to study the book of Revelation. But isn't it interesting that John, the author of this book, is the same man who we said earlier, probably the closest friend that Jesus had on the earth, is the same man that wrote uh, the gospel according to John, that wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And we love those books. A lot of people tell you that the book of John is their favorite book in the Bible because it's filled with the love of God. And isn't it odd that we love that book and we think it's easy to understand, but we can't understand Revelation. I think we can understand Revelation. We've just been told that it's too difficult, that it's too complicated. And sometimes we get caught up, if you get away from the weeds and away from some of the figurative language, and get to the meat of what the book is all about. As Mike said earlier, I don't know of another book that draws us more to God, that wants us to be closer to Him. 
And so please read the book of Revelation and study it over and over again. 22 chapters, doesn't take that long to read. And John says that uh, uh, in the first uh, three verses, first four verses, four things that will help us. Number one, it is a revelation. He calls it a revelation. And by the way, it's not revelations. Don't put an S on the end. Um, it's one revelation. Number two, it's a revelation that was signified. Uh, that's what he says, that it was, some Bibles say, some translations say, it was communicated, verse 2 and 3. But it says it was signified. The word there means showed by signs. That means that some of what John writes is in some kind of sign language that we don't know about, but it's probably so that the Christians could understand it, but the people who, didn't, uh, who weren't Christian couldn't understand it. So if they're under Roman government and they're, some of them, in prison, and they get a letter from John, they want to intercept it and try to figure out what it's all about. And by the way, I think that all of the churches, the seven churches, didn't receive just the, the snippet of the letter that's written to them, like Ephesus in chapter 1 or chapter 2. Ephesus didn't just receive that information, but they received the entire book. And so it's all written to the seven churches. And uh, they could understand what John was saying. Uh, number three, uh, it is, um, number one, it's a revelation. Number two, to the seven churches of Asia. And number three, it is in signs. And number four, it is about things that must soon take place. And he says that in chapter one, things that must shortly come to pass, I think the New American Standard says. And in chapter 22, he says, uh, the time is at hand. And so apparently these people, when they got the letter, they thought that these things were about to happen. And so it's my belief that most, the vast majority of the book of Revelation is not about our future, but about the future of those early Christians. And it happened during their lifetime. Things that must shortly come to pass. The time is at hand. One time he said, don't seal up the book because it's time for these events to occur. And so instead of trying to give a modern-day um, picture of some sign that was given to them years ago, uh, like um, the mark of the beast you'll read about, and you read commentaries and you'll get all kinds of different ideas about uh, who that is or, or what it was. Um, I've read that the mark of the beast was Hitler or Mussolini or uh, one more modern-day writer said it was Osama bin Laden uh, one writer, I remember reading a book one time by a guy about this book, and he said that the mark of the beast was Henry Kessinger. I don't know how he got involved with all those other uh, wicked people. But the fact is, um, we don't know. But I believe they, they knew. I believe they understood what that was all about. And so we, we try to read into things that we don't quite understand. Uh, but if you keep in mind that it was written for those people for that time, It'll help us understand it better. So go down to, um, after he gives us these thoughts concerning um, the introduction, and he talks about Christ a little bit, verses 4 and following. Uh, go down to verse 9. I, John, your brother, and fellow partaker uh, in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos. Uh, Patmos. Uh, Patmos is an island in Greece. One of more than 5,000 islands, even today, in Greece. Thousands and thousands. They're all over. When you leave Athens and you get on a boat and you ride out into the, the sea, you'll see islands just dot the sea. 
They're everywhere. And Patmos is one of those islands. Uh, Patmos was, uh, uh, it is today, five miles by ten miles. It's not a very big island. You can walk around it in a day. Uh, you could see everything you want to see in Patmos in just a few hours. But when you pull up in a boat, uh, I've done this many times. Uh, by the way, I'm going to Greece next year, and we'll be taking a group of people, and we'll get on a boat in Athens, and we'll go to a number of those islands. I believe that one of the most beautiful uh, cities in the world is the island of Santorini. Now, Santorini is not biblical island, but it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Have you ever seen pictures of Greece, like on postcards or in magazines, and they have those blue domed houses or those white houses? That, that's the island of Santorini. They're, they're all over the island. This is a beautiful sight as you're coming up there. And I have a friend that lives in Greece. who's a gospel preacher named Dino Russo's. And we were there with Dino, and he grew up on Santorini. And he said um, those buildings were built by families to be their churches. And then they eventually would sell them to people, and people would live in them. He said, I own one of those buildings on Santorini. Uh, so when you go to Santorini, we go to Mykonos. Uh, Mykonos is a beautiful, beautiful island. Many caves in Mykonos. We go to, to Crete, uh, where Paul wrote to Titus on Crete. And uh, still a wicked place, just like it was in that day. Um, and then we go to Patmos, five miles by two miles. As you pull up on the boat to Patmos, you, the first thing you see are three uh, massive windmills. Uh, they're called uh, today the windmills of Cora, or Chora, depending on how. Uh, here's something I learned, Mike, about Greek uh, people over there. Uh, we'll be riding around, and a lot, a lot of times in Greece, like a road sign will be written in Greek language, and then it'll be written in English language. Or a building uh, in a restaurant might have the Greek name and then the English name. And they would pronounce the Greek names. And what I learned is that a lot of those Greek people don't pronounce Greek correctly. Um, you know, we learned Greek at Fried Hardeman, so we must be right. I try to explain that to them. But uh, the windmills of Cora or Chora, and uh, two of those windmills were built... In 1588, by the way, 1588, uh, one, the third one was built in the 1800s. Two of those windmills have been in operation for more than 400 years without stopping. Think about that. And they're massive windmills. And, and uh, we get to walk up to those windmills and those windmills supply power and energy and water for the people who live on Patmos now. And you walk, uh, we walk past the windmills and we go up to a, a church building. And in, in places like Greek and in Israel, um, all of what we call the holy sites, because they have biblical, we call them holy sites because they have biblical significance, all of those sites have been covered up with churches. And I hate that part of it. I wish they would not have built churches on those sites because they argue about who that site belongs to. And half of them have uh, the Muslims have built buildings on, the other half the Catholics have built buildings on. They argue about who owns it. And I get sick of seeing all of They all look exactly the same. Um, but we walk through this church and we go down to, to a cave and uh, have to bend down to get to this cave. And this cave is dark and there's a little alcove, a little corner of the cave where they've kind of, it looks like they've hewn out some rock there. And they put a desk there, a wooden desk, and a lantern on that desk. And one time, somebody had hung a sign up there that said, John was here. And uh, somebody asked me one time on the tour, do you think that was a desk that John used to write Revelation? <laughs> well, just so you know, I don't think that. It wasn't. Uh, but it was here that John received the letter, the island of Patmos. Now, the name Patmos 
is a name that, uh, this word only occurs one time in the Bible, right here in this passage. It doesn't occur anywhere else. And we know that it's an island, and it's still an island today. But there's no, uh, nobody knows for sure what the word Patmos means. Um, one uh, scholar says that the, the word Patmos means uh, the killing of me. The killing of me. And that thought is that John was exiled there, and he was put to death there. A lot of people believe that John was put to death on Patmos. And so they think the word means the killing. Um, one of the most prevalent ideas of the word Patmos is that it means beside the sea. And it's right there beside the sea. It's right on the sea. And as I mentioned in the worship, John uses the word thalassus, the Greek word for sea, 24 times in the book of Revelation. Um, I think that particular word, and, and by the way, that word is an interesting word. Because sometimes you'll hear a preacher or a teacher talk about a Greek word and they'll say it can mean this or it can mean this or it can mean this. It, it may have several different English meanings. The word thalassus only has one meaning. It means sea. And so it's found 24 times in Revelation. And uh, John, as I said, sometimes is referring to a sea that's in heaven around the throne of God. And sometimes he's talking about the seas that are on the earth. He talks about an angel who put his foot on the sea. Remember that context in Revelation? And so that's uh, Patmos. And this is where John wrote the letter. And so let's look at, um, let's look at what John uh, found. So he said, I was in the Spirit uh, on the Lord's day. Uh, and by the way, if you look at verse 9, he says, uh, um, I was on the island called Patmos, the New American Standard says, because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Some Bibles say, for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Well, which one is it? Is it because or is it for? And my answer is yes. It's both. Um, if he's there because of the Word of God, the indication is that he was arrested and sent there and that's where a lot of people get the idea from this verse right here that says he was there because of the word of God, that he was exiled there, that he was arrested and they took him there as a prisoner. And it was there that God sent the angel to give him and that Jesus gave him the revelation. So um, if it's uh, for the word of God, it might not be that he was exiled there, but it might be that God sent him there for the very reason to receive this letter, uh, this book of revelation to send to the seven churches of Asia. Well, again, which one? Well, it doesn't really matter. Uh, whether it's because of or for, he was there because of his uh, great love and compassion and respect for the Word of God. And may God help all of us have that same uh, love that John had. May we have that same unshakable loyalty uh, to the Word of God and to the God of the Word. We have that kind of loyalty in our life. We need to be loyal to Scripture. There's a great account over in 1 Kings chapter 22 when the, the king of Israel and the king of Judah are having this conversation about a war and one of the kings is asking the other king if he'll go fight with him and the king responds by saying, my army is your army, I'll go and fight with you. And he says, but have you heard a word from the Lord about this? And he said that he had inquired of all of his uh, prophets I think he said about 400 of them. He inquired of all of them, and all of them said, go to battle. And the prophet's name is Micaiah, by the way. And if you haven't read about Micaiah, you need to read about him. And so Micaiah comes to the, um, 
Micaiah is the prophet, and these kings are having this conversation. And the king, one of the kings asked the other kings, have you heard a word from the Lord? Have you talked to one of God's prophets? And the king says, there's only one of God's prophets that I know. And then the king says, but I hate him. (laughs) So the point is, I don't want to talk to him. I don't like him. I'd rather talk to my prophets who I like. I don't want to. So he says, you need to send and talk to him. So he sends his servant to go to Micaiah. And if you recall, 1 Kings 22 says that the, uh, the servant of the king says to Micaiah, uh, he wants to know if he should go to war or not. And he says, but I want to warn you before you answer that uh, all the other prophets has said it's okay for him to go to war, that he should go to war. And if you're smart... And if you're as wise as you think you are, you'll respond in the same way. And then Micaiah says something that ought to be uh, the mantra and the slogan and uh, the thought for every preacher and teacher of the Word of God. He said these words, as the Lord lives. Now listen to this. As the Lord lives, what the Lord says, that will I speak. You want to talk about a theme for gospel preachers. As the Lord lives, what the Lord says, that will I speak. The what uh, of uh, the what of divine revelation must become the that of human proclamation. As the Lord lives, what the Lord says, that will I speak. And that's the kind of heart that John has for the Word of God. An unshakable loyalty to the Word of God. And so that's why uh, he is there. So let's look at verse 9 again. Uh, John says, I am your brother. Uh, That's important. Uh, John, as we said, perhaps the closest friend that Jesus had. He writes to these churches and he says, I am your brother. Um, Wouldn't that be wonderful to get a note from the closest friend that Jesus had and he said, I'm your brother as well. We call each other oftentimes brothers and sisters, and, and that's a biblical term. Um, as we've talked about in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, Paul says that we're saints. And he said, I'm the least of all the saints later on in chapter 3. So we're saints. We are called a priest. Uh, Revelation 1, 5 and 6 says that we're kings and priests to the Lord. Um, Peter says that we're a royal priesthood a holy nation, an elect people of God. And so those are all uh, titles of who we are. And John says, I'm your brother. Uh, We are like a family. God is our father. Jesus Christ is our older brother. And we are born, uh, grafted into the family of God. And we have brothers and sisters. And and one of the beauties of of being in the church is that we have uh, brothers and sisters. Isn't it amazing when you go somewhere and you go to a church and you find brothers and sisters? I was talking to Somebody earlier who went to high school in Birmingham, Alabama. Not the same high school where I went, but we know some of the same people. Grew up in the same area at the same, same time. Never met this person in my life before. Isn't that amazing how that happens? Um, we've re- recently spent 11 days in Nicaragua and um, saw people I'd never met in my life. They had a session on Sunday afternoon. They had the morning worship and I preached that morning. And they had a, a building that had... Uh, a roof over it and a cement floor, concrete floor, but no walls. And it didn't rain that day, thankfully. And it wasn't too hot, but we worshiped kind of outside. That afternoon, the preacher said, 
uh, we, we're going to have a gathering of preachers and we'd like for you to come and talk to these preachers about preaching. And he said, I'll translate for you. And we'll have another man there to help translate. And so I'm thinking, okay, there's going to be, you know, 20 or 30 people show up. And that afternoon, about uh, four o'clock in the afternoon, there were somewhere between 250 and 300 preachers who showed up for this little workshop uh, from around the nation of Nicaragua. Gospel preachers in Nicaragua. I didn't even know there were that many Christians in Nicaragua. But all of these men were hungry and I talked to them for two hours. And then they said, can we do a question and answer period? And we spent two more hours doing the question and answer period. And they finally made us quit because dinner was ready. It didn't smell as good as this, I just have to tell you. Uh, and it didn't taste as good as this, but it was all right. Um, but they have a passion for the Word of God. And I met a lot of new people that I'd never known in my life. We're brothers and sisters in the kingdom. So John said, I, I'm your brother. And then John says, I'm not only your brother, but I'm your fellow partaker. And John says three things, and this is going to be uh, the rest of the lesson for today. Three things that are important when we are brothers in the Lord. Three things. Number one, I'm your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation. John uses a Greek word here. It's the word thalipsis. It means trials uh, or problems or struggles or tribulation. I'm your brother in the tribulation. Now, now think, here you are, you're living in the first century, and if you believe the early date, you're living in the days of Nero, the most, one of the most desperate rulers who ever lived. I think it is uh, Josephus who writes about Nero and says that Nero hated Christians. And he said that sometimes he would take Christians and he wanted to put them to death, and he would sew them up in the skins of animals, and he would throw them into the arena, and the lions would come and eat the Christians. Um, sometimes he would have a parade in the middle of the street and he would hang Christians on crosses on both sides of the, the street and he would use them as, wick, as wicks and he would light, light them and burn them to death. Uh, John says, I'm your brother in the tribulation. And what this tells us is that, that whatever is going on in our lives, that we have brothers and sisters uh, who, who understand. And Paul is going to write and tell us that that we have been um, comforted with the comfort of God. And we ought to take the same comfort that we've been comforted with and comfort others um, with the comfort that we've been comforted with so they can also be comforted. And I appreciate uh, Mike's kind words about the book I wrote. Uh, I I was uh, asked about a year after my wife passed away to do a, a presentation for a church. And it was during COVID and they asked me if I would do it online. And they wanted me to talk about uh, losing a spouse. And I thought, I don't know if I can do that or not. It had been just a year. It was still really raw and fresh in my mind. And I said, but I'll do it. And I was glad I was doing it in front of a camera. It was easier that way than in front of a group of people. But I did that lesson. It lasted about an hour. And some people said, would you put that in print? And so basically this book is not a, a long read. It's not, it's not a deep read. But if you've lost a loved one, it'll... Uh, cause you to have memories that may bring tears to your eyes. Um, it's because we, we share in tribulation. And I know there's people in this room today who've lost a mate or lost a child. Uh, my wife and I lost a child. If he were alive today, uh, he would be 39 years of age. Uh, I believe that child is in heaven. I believe my wife is in heaven. I believe they've been reunited. I don't know the the depth of the knowledge that they'll have about one another, but I believe that they're, they're there together. Um, 
you've lost a child or you've gone through a difficult divorce or you've um, gone through problems at work or in your family. You've had a child who's walked away from the Lord. And the point is that, that we are brothers and fellow partakers in tribulation. When trials and struggles come, we're not alone. And, and it helps us understand that, that, that we're, we're not, I'm not the only one who's lost a, a wife or lost a child. And, and there are other people who have, and they, they can understand something about that. And, and no two situations are exactly alike. And I do some seminars on uh, dealing with grief. And one of the things that we tell people in a list of 10 things I wish everybody knew about grief is that, that no grief is the same. Everybody's grief is different. And I hate it when somebody says to me, oh, I hear you lost your wife. I know exactly how you feel. And I want to shout, no, you don't. You may know how you feel, but you don't know how I feel. But, but, but what we do know is that, that we're brothers and, and sisters in tribulation. And uh, I can't understand everything about the way you feel if you've lost a mate, but I know something about that. And so we can be fellow partakers in that. So we put our arms around each other and we, we uh, comfort one another because we are brothers and fellow partakers in the Philippians. Number two, John says we are brothers and fellow partakers in the word that John uses here is the word basileia. It's a word that you may be familiar with. Jesus used this word. It means kingdom. We are brothers in the kingdom. Uh, Every child of God who is born into the family of God is born into the kingdom. John will say back in verse 5 and 6 that that we are a part of a a king. We're kings and priests uh, to the Lord. So we are a part of the kingdom of God, Basileia. It's the word that Jesus used in Matthew 16. When he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will never prevail against it. And then remember, he said to Peter, I will give you the keys of the Basileia, the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Um, The kingdom of God. It's not like any earthly kingdom. As we said earlier, earthly kingdoms, the rulers and the government of that kingdom changes. But the government of heaven is always the same. Jesus is always king. God is always on the throne. And we are uh, brothers in the kingdom with Jesus himself. And he serves as our, to use the words of John in the book of the gospel, or the, uh, the letters of John, that he is our uh, intercessor. Um, Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5. He says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. So we come to God through Christ. And John will tell us that he is our advocate. We have an advocate with the Father. What is that? That's like a, a somebody who, is, uh, who speaks for us. He goes before the throne of God for us. Uh, he uh, he uh, sits at the right hand of God. Romans chapter 8 talks about the fact that there are times in our lives that, that we don't know how to pray as we ought to pray which Paul makes that statement in Romans 8. It's a very interesting statement for Paul. Paul never says, we don't know. Paul always says, we know. We know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and for those who are called according to His purpose. I, I know that I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Paul never says, we don't know. But in Romans 8, he says, sometimes we don't know how we should pray as we ought to pray. And it's during those times that the Spirit of God intercedes for us with groanings that, that we cannot utter is the idea. When, when I don't have the words, um, I yet read years ago about a, an Indian woman. Her name was Molly Shepherd, 
and she wrote stories uh, for the Indians. Uh, and when events would occur in America, uh, she would write the story in ways that the Indian people, her people, could understand it. And the story is that when John F. Kennedy died, that she wrote her piece in the, the newspaper that was sent to her, a tribe of people, and it said, Molly, uh, Molly has no words today. Molly does not know what to say. And I think about that a lot, that uh, there are times in our lives that we don't have words when we're talking to God. Have you been there in your life when you don't know what to say? Our advocate and the Spirit of God take those words before God. And Jesus stands before God in our place and he pleads our case. And if we get to heaven, it will not be because of us. It will not be because we're smart or intelligent or wise or creative. It will be because we serve King Jesus It'll be because he is our brother and fellow partaker in the kingdom. And someday, Paul writes in Ephesians 5, he's going to take that kingdom and he's going to present it to the Father and it will be without spot or blemish, unlike the kingdom that we are part of on this earth today. But it's important for us to know that Jesus is our brother and fellow partaker in the kingdom. So what does that mean to us? That means that that we all ought to work together in the kingdom. That we're not against one another, uh, that we're working together. And uh, a lot of times in the church, and a lot of times this is driven by preachers and elders in the church, it's, it's kind of like, if you don't agree with me about everything, then you're not with me, and so it's, it's, it's us against you. And it should never be that way. It's, it's never, listen, it's never me against another human being. In Ephesians Six, Paul said, our battle is not with flesh and blood. That's the Holy Spirit talking, by the way. Our battle is not with flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers, rulers and authorities uh, in the heavenlies. Again, there's that phrase. So we're not against, it's not us against the world. And especially, especially church, in the church it's not me against another Christian. Uh, And when Satan can tempt us and get us to to view life in the kingdom that way. He'll win the battle, by the way, uh, because he wants to get us to take our focus off of what it's really about. It's really about a war between God and Satan. I think Revelation 12 gives us at least a little glimpse into what that was all about, a war that took place in heaven. Uh, It's not about me and some other person. In some Preachers and elders and editors and people in position of authority uh, act like that it's me against everybody else. And if you disagree with me, you're in trouble. And, and uh, look, we're in the kingdom of God. And we need to do everything that we can. It doesn't mean we'll always be able to work together. Paul and Barnabas had to part ways. It wasn't over a doctrinal matter in this occasion. I had to part ways because of personalities. It's been my experience that, that most of the time the, the divisions and uh, the schisms, if you will, in the church are more over personality than they are over doctrinal things. Now there are times that when it's a doctrinal matter that we can't 
fellowship the way that we should. But we need to work overtime to realize that we're brothers and sisters in the Basileia. And someday Christ will present this kingdom to his Father. And we're all in this together. And we ought to work together. And we ought to be united. And we ought to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And, and we ought to do everything that we can to, to get along with one another. And to build a greater unity and a greater oneness and a greater force for, uh, for the kingdom. Because we are in the Basileia. And then John says, number one, the Thalipsis. Number two, the Basileia. And number three, he uses a word that is the word hupomone. The word hupomone, is, this is a word that's translated in many different ways in, in my Bible. It says, and perseverance. Perseverance. Uh, there's a footnote in my Bible, and it says steadfastness. Uh, it, so it means, what it means here is this word hupomone, it means that, uh, that you're going to endure to the end. You'll be faithful to the end. It means you'll keep on going. You'll keep on keeping on. Remember, Jesus said in the letter, one of the letters, uh, be, faithful, <coughs> be faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. And uh, while it may include that thought, it does not mean that you be faithful until you live to be 103 years of age. I had a friend over in Dallas area. Uh, he lived to be 103. When he was 102 years old, he preached on a Wednesday night. He lived to be 103. Uh, That's not what this verse means. It may include that. If we live to be 100, we're supposed to be faithful to God. But it means that you be faithful even to the point of death. Even if you have to die. And remember, some of these people had watched their loved ones be put to death for the Lord, but they 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 didn't go back on the Lord. They didn't say, remember the the people, the Roman government wanted Christians to say, um, Caesar is Lord. If you would just deny Christ and say Caesar is Lord, there's a, there's a historical tradition that one of the church fathers was told that if he would deny Christ, they would not put him to death. And he said in his 90s, The Lord has been faithful to me these 90 plus years. How will I not be faithful to him in the moment of my death? Be faithful unto death. Even if it means you're going to be put to death. Now, here's the beauty. Uh, Most of us in in our day, uh, most of us who are around today, most of you young people, you're never going to be asked to give your life for Christ. Uh, Nobody's going to put your head on the chopping block. They're not going to burn you at the stake. They're not going to sew you up in animal skins and throw you in the Colosseum and release the lines on you. That's not going to happen to, to most of us. There are some places in the world. I have a, a friend who's a gospel preacher, a missionary in Indonesia. He's seen Christians put to death because they would not renege on their faith. And so we're not going to be asked that. Our grandchildren will have maybe greater persecution than we have in their lives because if you stand up for your faith and your belief, it's going to be more difficult. And God is saying to all of us, Jesus is saying through John, you be faithful even if it means you have to die. And there's a great example for all of us and particularly for young people that we talked about earlier, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, were, they believed they were going to be put to death for their faith. And Nebuchadnezzar said, all you got to do is deny God one time. 
just one time. And, you know, I heard a fellow say one time they could have crossed their fingers and put them behind their backs and denied God. And then they could have said, I I was only kidding. But their heart was, we know that our God can deliver us. And we believe that he will. But whether he does or not, we're not going to deny him. Hupomone, endurance, uh, steadfastness. Stay strong until the end, even if it means death. And these people might have thought that they might be dying tomorrow. And if they would just say, Caesar is Lord. And and Paul wrote to the Corinthians, remember, and he said to them, the world wants you to say, Caesar is Lord, but you always have to say what? Jesus is Lord. So you keep saying Jesus is Lord, not just with your mouth. You ought to say it with your mouth a lot. But don't just say it with your mouth, but you say it with your life. You be faithful unto death that Jesus is Lord and their heart was that we're going to do what God calls us to do whether it means we be put to death or not. So John, the friend of Christ, says, I'm your brother and fellow partaker in the hupomone, in steadfastness, in endurance. And the point there is that, that there are other Christians, you'll find other Christians who will also be faithful. And we can encourage each other. And we can help one another. And... Uh, I'm thankful for uh, so many people. I'm thankful for people like Mike Vestal who live a life of faith. And no matter what happens, he's going to be loyal to the Word of God and be faithful to God and to our Lord. And that's encouraging to me because I want to try to do the same thing. There are always going to be other people who are our, our brothers and fellow partakers. And that's the way John describes himself to these people. I'm your brother and fellow partaker in Thalipsis, tribulation and trials, in Basileia, in the kingdom of God, and in Hupomone, in uh, endurance and steadfastness and faithfulness. And then the, the last thing I want to mention, and, and we'll close, is that John, uh, in this book, really in, in the first five chapters, he gives us an image of what he's talking about in Chapter 1, verse 9. And he gives us an image of Thalipsis. And the image is uh, the picture of Christ in Revelation 1, verse 15. Uh, A flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze that have been made to glow in a furnace. Fire. Some days we'll feel like Satan has turned up the fire. He's made it hotter than ever before. And I can assure you that Satan will not leave you alone. You remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness uh, by Satan and we talk about the three temptations, which is really humorous. It was there 40 days and 40 nights and Satan came and tempted him. And if you think he only tempted him three times, uh, you're kidding yourself. He tempted him maybe thousands of times during that 40-day period. We just have three of them recorded. And at the end, in in Luke's account, it doesn't say it in Matthew's account, but in Luke's account, Luke chapter 4, verse, I think it's verse 13, it says that Satan departed from him uh, for a, uh, a more opportune time. It didn't say Satan left him for good. He's coming back. And every time we resist temptation, he's not done with us. He's coming back. But the more we stay faithful, when they've turned up the heat, the more we'll be able to say we're brothers and fellow partakers. And then the, so the image is the fire. And then the basileia. 
the images, chapter 4, verse 2. I looked and saw a throne standing in heaven. The throne represents everything about the kingdom of God because God is on that throne. As we said in the worship, everything has its proximity to that throne. Everything is focused on that throne. So, um, Basileia. And then the third image is the hupomone, the endurance, the faithfulness. And the image there is found in chapter 5, verse 2. And it's God sitting on the throne holding a book in his hand. And the book uh, represents the perseverance and the faithfulness of God. And we're going to talk at 5 o'clock today about that book. And I hope you'll come back because it's a beautiful thought that John gives us in chapter 5. So you have the, the fire, the thalipsis. You have the throne, the basileia, and you have the book, Hupamone. And these represent how we as brothers and sisters in the Lord uh, are united and how we help each other and how we work together and how we strengthen the body of Christ and how we encourage other people to want to be a part of the kingdom of God. How we show our great love for Jesus Christ. Well, I hope these thoughts will encourage you and and uh, spur you on to a greater study of this book and uh, of your own life as a child of God. Uh, I want to close with a word of prayer, and then uh, I think it'll be time for us to be dismissed. Let's bow. Dear God, we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you, Father, for giving us your word. We thank you for giving us Jesus Christ so that we could be saved. Father, we pray that we will understand that in this world that sometimes can be difficult and dark and can be tough to live in this world, can be tough to keep our focus on things that are good and right. Father, help us to realize that that we're never alone. And even if all men forsake us, like Paul talked about, if all men forsake us, we're still not alone because we know that, that Christ will walk with us. If he walked with those three teenage boys in a fire, that he'll walk with us through whatever fire we're facing in our life. And Father, help us to remember that he's told us that he'll never leave us or forsake us. Father, we rejoice that at least in our day, that we're not alone as far as human beings. That we have an army, a kingdom, a society of your people around the world, wherever we go, there are people who are our brothers and fellow partakers. And Father, what a tremendous, rich blessing that is for our lives. And we thank you for that. And may we never forget that. Uh, may we hold that dear to our hearts. And may we, may we live like we are a part of that kingdom, that we are fellow partakers and brothers in Thalipsis and tribulation, in the Basileia and the kingdom and the Hupomone in steadfastness and faithfulness. And when we live the way that we should, that it'll be of encouragement to, to our fellow brothers and sisters. And we're grateful that we have the promise. There are many who are our brothers and fellow partakers in all of these different areas of our life. So Father, help us to be strong. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be bold in the proclamation of your word. Help us have an undying loyalty to your word just as our brother John did. Father, help us to grow every day in our faith to become more like Jesus and to be closer to you. Father, we want to be closer to you. May you help us and may we be encouraged by one another on this earth. We thank you, Father, for our time together today in worship and in this study. 
pray that you'll bless us throughout this day, that we'll enjoy our fellowship. We'll look forward to being together again this evening. Father, bless each person who's here today, those who are struggling with their faith, those who are wondering about their walk with you, those who are concerned. May they be encouraged and strengthened. And may we help one another as we walk this journey called life. In the name of Jesus, our precious Savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here. I think we're a couple of minutes early. Just don't tell whoever teaches this class next week. <laughs>